Question number one. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. And I'm sure members across the whole House will wish to join me in marking International Women's Day as we celebrate the social, economic, cultural and political achievements of women, both here and around the world. But we also redouble our efforts to tackle the problems that women all too often still face. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Mrs Cheryl Murray. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I join the Prime Minister in celebrating International Women's Day. Since 2010, Conservatives in Government have a proud record of protecting and supporting both those at risk and the victims of domestic violence and abuse. I saw this myself when I joined my local police and I would like to thank them for the difficult job they do. But even as far as too many women are still at risk and are still suffering, what more can the Prime Minister do to tackle this abhorrent crime? My my honourable friend raises a very serious issue. It's one in which I have taken a particular personal interest and I attach very great importance to this issue. Tackling domestic violence and abuse is a key priority for the government, and what we have done uh, in already in government, I think, has the potential to transform the way in which we think and tackle these terrible crimes uh, when they take place. We've already committed to bringing forward new legislation, and today I've confirmed an additional £20 million to support organisations working to tackle domestic violence and abuse. This means the total funding available for our Violence Against Women and Girls strategy will be over £100 million this Parliament. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Could I start by wishing all women a very happy International Women's Day today? And I'm very proud that the Labour Party has more women MPs than all other parties combined in this House. And a shadow cabinet of which half the members are women. A month ago, Mr Speaker, I raised the question of the leaked texts between the leader of Surrey Council and government officials about social care. The Prime Minister's response was to accuse me of peddling alternative facts. Could the Prime Minister explain the difference between a sweetheart deal and a gentleman's agreement? First of all, First of all, the Right Honourable Gentleman references women in this House. I think I will point out to him that actually the Conservative Party has taken a further measure in relation to women in this House very recently. We've replaced a Labour male MP with a female Conservative. Now, if he, uh, he's asked me about the issue in relation to, uh, to Surrey County Council, and the substance of what he's asking is, is, has there been a particular deal with Surrey County Council that is not available to other councils? And the answer to that is no. As I've said before, the ability to raise a social care precept of 3% is available to every council. The issue of the retention of 100% of business rates is currently is going to be available to a number of councils in April. Now let's just look at them. Liverpool, 
Manchester, London. What do we know about those? Ah, they're all under Labour control. So what he's actually asking me, what he's actually asking me, is why should a Conservative council have access to an arrangement that's predominantly currently available to Labour councils? Jeremy Corbyn. Mr. Speaker, my question was about the arrangements between the government and Surrey County Council. A recording has now emerged saying that the leader of Surrey County Council, David Hodge, said there was a gentleman's agreement between him and the government which meant they would not have to go ahead with the referendum. My question is, what deal was done with Surrey County Council? Because there is an acute social care crisis that affects every council. 4.6 billion of cuts made to social care since 2010. Can the Prime Minister tell every other council in England what gentlemen's agreement is available for them? I say to the right honourable gentleman on today of all days, I think if he could just be a little patient and wait half an hour for the budget, he'll actually find out what social care funding is available to all councils. If he's, if, but I come back to if he's asking me if there was a special deal for Surrey that was not available to other councils, the answer is no. If he's looking. If he's looking to uncover a conspiracy, I suggest he just looks behind him. Well, Mr Speaker, if the whole if all the arrangements are so clear and above board, will the Prime Minister place in the Library of the House a record of all one-to-one meetings that have been held between the Community Secretary and the Chancellor with any Council Leader or Chair of Social Services anywhere in England? And can she explain, if there is no special deal, why Surrey is the only County Council to be allowed into the business rates retention pilot when it has been denied to others? The business rate retention pilot will be coming into force for a number of councils this April. That includes, as I have already said in answer to his uh, earlier question, Liverpool, Greater Manchester, Greater London and some others. In 2019-20, it is going to be available to 100% of councils. For 2018-19, councils are able to apply to be part of a further pilot. That goes for all councils across the country. Corbyn, the text, Mr Speaker, said there was a memorandum of understanding. The Prime Minister said there was no deal. She now is unclear about this. Did 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 she actually know what arrangement was made with Surrey County Council? She's unkeen on answering questions on that. There is another area of deep concern over the whole country. Could the Prime Minister tell us how many new school places will be needed by 2020? Can I just say to the 
say to the right honourable gentleman um, that really he should listen to the answers I give before he asks the next question. He said I didn't answer the question about a special deal for Surrey. I think I've answered it now three times, but I'll do it a fourth time. There was no special deal for Surrey that was not available to other councils. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister was also asked a question just a moment ago about the number of new school places needed by 2020. Perhaps she could explain why we have a crisis in school places and class sizes soaring thanks to her government. So what is the answer on the number of new school places needed, Prime Minister? Well, this government has a policy which is about increasing the number of school places, but doing more than that. I want to increase the number of good school places so that every child has an opportunity to go to a good school. That's what the money we're putting into education is about. It includes money for free, uh, new free schools. Those will be uh, faith schools, university schools, comprehensives, uh, grammar schools. Uh, university schools, I've said, math schools, there'll be a diversity because what I want is a good school place for every child and parents to have a choice. What the right honourable gentleman wants is parents to take what they're given, good or bad. Speaker, the National Audit Office tell us that a very large number of new school places are needed, 420,000. Nothing she said gets anywhere near to that. Instead, she proposes a flagship scheme to build the wrong schools in the wrong place, spending millions on vanity projects of grammar schools and free schools, whilst at the same time per-pupil funding is falling in real terms. Isn't it time that this colossal waste of money was addressed? It's doing nothing to help the vast majority of children, nothing to solve the crisis of school places and soaring class sizes. That is what every parent in this country wants, not vanity projects from her government. It's no vanity project to want every child to have a good school place. The majority, the majority of free schools the majority of free schools that have been opened have been opened in area where there, areas where there's a need for school places, and the majority have been opened uh, actually in areas of disadvantage where they're helping the very children we want to see get the opportunity to get on in life. But I have to say to the right honourable gentleman, this is about a fairer society. And on this budget day, what we see is we are securing the economy, Labour want to weaken it. We're working for a fairer society. Labour oppose every single reform. We're fighting for the best deal for Britain. Labour are fighting among themselves. That's Labour, weak, divided and unfit to govern this great country. it is likely that sadly four people will suffer a stroke. With this in mind, and given that the current highly successful stroke strategy expires later this year, will my right honourable friend now commit her government to publish an updated strategy that also includes advances in stroke treatment 
such as mechanical thrombectomy, which dramatically improves outcomes for one in ten patients. My my Honourable Friend has raised a very important issue, and I want to assure her that the NHS does want to continue to build on the successes of the current stroke strategy. Um, There have been huge improvements, I think we all recognise there have been huge improvements over the last decade in stroke care, and we want to deliver our ambition for truly world-leading care. On the particular treatment that she refers to, I understand the NHS has already approved the use of mechanical clot retrieval in specific cases. Um, It does rigorously audit the quality of stroke care across the country so that we can make sure that we are delivering on our commitments. And uh, we have some of the fastest improvements in hospital recovery rate for stroke and heart attacks in Europe. Angus Robertson. On International Women's Day, we wish all campaigners for equality well including the WASPI campaigners. Mr Speaker, the cross-party parliamentary Brexit committee has recommended that the UK must guarantee the status of EU nationals living in the UK and act unilaterally if necessary. The committee then went on to say that the current process for consideration of permanent residency applications is not fit for purpose and in the absence of any concrete resolution to relieve the anxiety felt by the estimated 3 million EU citizens resident in the UK, it is untenable to continue with the system as it stands. Given the massive positive contribution that European nationals make to this country, what concrete plans does the Prime Minister have to deal with this? Uh, As the Right Honourable Gentleman knows, we do want to have an early agreement which will enable us to guarantee the status of EU citizens living in the UK, but also we need to guarantee the status of UK citizens living in the European Union. As regards the process of application that he's referred to, uh, the Home Office is looking at this. They are looking at how they, as they always do, regularly looking at how they can improve the systems and simplify them. Angus Robertson. Uh, Mr Speaker, since 2010, the Home Office has seen its full-time staff equivalent cut by 10%. So at current rates of processing applications for permanent residency, it would take the Home Office more than 50 years, 50 years, to deal with 3.2 million European nationals in the UK. This is clearly, totally and utterly unacceptable. So will the Prime Minister tell us how quickly she hopes to be able to guarantee all European nationals I'd say to the right honourable gentleman, he can't just stand up and say because actually the Home Office is getting more efficient, it's going to be longer for answers to be given to these hours. Yes, the Home Office is the Home Office is getting more efficient at how it's dealing with these things. I don't know if he's ever heard about technology, but these days actually people apply online and they're dealt with online. Chris Green. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Following the recent findings of the study on, of terror convictions in Britain, it is clear that there are serious problems of how communities integrate into society and the danger that this lack of integration leading to acts of terror. Will the Prime Minister update the House on the Government's counter-extremism strategy and response to these findings? Well, again, this is a very serious issue that my honourable friend has raised, and the government is taking a comprehensive approach to tackling terrorism, violent extremism at source, but also, obviously, through our counter-extremism strategy, looking at extremism more widely. And we want to defeat 
uh, not just terrorism and violent extremism, but extremism wherever it occurs. We will be publishing shortly a new counter-terrorism strategy, and in the coming months we will be responding to Dame Louise Case's report on integration. But this is backed up by additional investment in our security and intelligence agencies, two and a half billion over five years. And I'm clear that the government is doing everything it can to tackle issues around integration, extremism and terrorism. A.C. Brabin. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I come from um, a Westminster Hall debate on behalf of my young constituent, Sam, who's 11 years old, who developed narcolepsy as a result of receiving the Pandemrix vaccine to protect him from swine flu. Sam's mum is at a die, is actually in the gallery today. But in these rare and devastating cases, the link between pandemics and narcolepsy is proven. And yet families like Dyes face long legal battles with the government. Will the Prime Minister today promise that no more of these disabled children will be hounded through the courts, apologise to the families concerned, and also to oversee payments to support the children's long-term care needs? Can I, can I first of all congratulate the Honourable Lady on securing a Westminster Hall debate on this, uh, on this important topic? Um, she refers to, at the end of her question, to the issue of payments. Of course, I'm sure she realises that the vaccine damage payment scheme isn't a compensation scheme, but it's a one-off tax-free lump sum that is paid to help ease the burden of those who are disabled as a result of vaccination, and it's part of a range of support that is provided. She's raised a, a, a very specific case. Can I suggest to her um, that, uh, obviously, she's had that Westminster Hall debate. We want to ensure the process is open and fair at every stage. DWP does look at every claim based on its own facts. And if she wants to write with, with the details, I'm sure my honourable friend, the Minister uh, for Disabled People, Health and Work, will look into the specific case that she's raised. Closed question, Mr Michael Fabrican. Question four, sir. Thank you. Uh, while I won't speculate on the uh, statement that my right honourable friend, the Chancellor, is going to be making uh, very shortly, I can assure my honourable friend that the fundamentals of our economy are strong. Since 2010, employment in the West Midlands has risen by 215,000, and private sector employment alone grew by 80,000 over the last year. Uh, we've also seen schools and police budgets being protected, and more doctors and nurses in his local hospitals. Michael Fabricant. And, of course, we've also witnessed the post-Brexit vote of confidence from Nissan, Boeing and Dyson investing in other parts of the country. Could my right honourable friend speak a little bit more about firms like Jaguar Land Rover in the West Midlands? I'm happy to say to my honourable friend that, of course, in the wider sense, our plans for the Midland engine, I think, show that we want an economy that works for everyone. Uh, we've already uh, confirmed over £330 million in the growth deal funding, money going into the invest Midlands Engine Investment Fund, the Birmingham Rail Hub. But it is important to recognise the investment that is being made in the UK by companies like Jaguar Land Rover, who will be building their new Range Rover model in Soli Hull. That's very good news for the West Midlands. It's also very good news for the British economy, and it's a sign of the confidence Jaguar Land Rover has in the UK for the future. Gordon Marsden. Mr Speaker, my Blackpool casework is now full of the anxieties DWP and Home Office are imposing on vulnerable constituents, including officials' attempts to overturn tribunal decisions protecting benefits and residents. They include a family settled here for eight years and a man with a severe brain injury. Can I ask the Prime Minister, if she wants people to respect Brexit means Brexit, 
Shouldn't she respect that tribunals mean tribunals and not try and block them with grubby regulations affecting 164,000 disabled people? Uh, if the, the Honourable Gentleman is referring to the decision that has been taken in relation to the courts and the uh, personal independence payments, as I explained in this House last week, as has been explained by the Secretary of State, this is about restoring the uh, system to, to the state that it was intended to be when Parliament agreed it. It was agreed by the Coalition Government, agreed by this Parliament, and after extensive consultation. Mark Menzies. Mr Speaker, in National Apprenticeship Week, it's important to recognise this Government's commitment to investment and commitment to apprenticeships and skills. Would the Prime Minister look at encouraging a greater commitment to degree apprenticeships as part of this government strategy, as championed by businesses in my constituency like BA Systems, who have been at the forefront in developing these new programmes through its engineering degree apprenticeship scheme? My honourable friend has raised a very important issue. As we look ahead to the future, we do want to ensure that uh, people here in the UK have the skills that they need for the economy of the future. Degree apprenticeships will be an important part of this. And as he refers to specifically, there are companies like BAE Systems which have been right at the forefront of developing those new programmes. And I'm pleased to say that overall, if we look at apprenticeships, of course, the apprenticeship levy will take the total investment in England to 2.45 billion. That's double what was spent in 2010. That means that it's more opportunities for young people to gain the skills they need for their future. Dan Jarvis. Tomorrow, a memorial will be unveiled to those men and women who served our country in Afghanistan and Iraq. Does the Prime Minister agree that we should all pay tribute to their service and commemorate their sacrifice? not just with a memorial, but through a commitment to learn from the past and do better in the future. The the Honourable Gentleman raises a very important point. This will be uh, a very uh, significant ceremony when this memorial is unveiled, and we should all, I think, across this House, pay tribute to those whom that memorial will uh, will be Um, recognising for the sacrifice that they made, those in our armed forces, but also all those civilians who also worked to deliver aid and to deliver health care and and education. Mm -hmm. It is important that we recognise the sacrifices made by our armed forces and also by their families, Uh, and that will be a significant moment tomorrow. We're very clear that we do need to learn the lessons from the past, and that's exactly what we will do. Johnny Mercer. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Speaker. And I was delighted with the uh, Prime Minister's intervention in mental health in January, which I still feel has not had the attention it deserves. In Plymouth, we are completely reconfiguring our mental health services because we understand the parity of esteem means nothing without parity of provision. Will the Prime Minister come and visit us in Plymouth, come and see some of the pioneering work we are doing, perhaps in National Mental Health Week in May, where I'm hoping Plymouth will take a national lead? I I thank my honourable friend because I know this is an issue that he has uh, championed and and, uh, it's very close to his uh, areas of concern. He's done a lot of work on mental health and it is important as he talks about the parity of esteem which uh, the government has introduced and more money is going into mental health provision than ever before and I'd certainly be delighted to see the work being done in Plymouth uh, provided my diary allows that. Julie Cooper. Uh, Thank you. In my constituency of Burnley, primary and secondary schools are severely underfunded. Maintained nursery schools are struggling to survive. 
Why then, at this time, when we cannot adequately fund the schools we already have, is the Prime Minister suggesting spending millions of pounds creating new grammar schools that will help only a minority of children? This is as unfair as the new funding formula and will do nothing to help social mobility. Let's, let's be clear about what the uh, Government has done. There are record amounts of funding going into education in this country. It was a, it was a Conservative-led Government that introduced the pupil, pupil premium. It's a Conservative Government that has protected the core schools budget. When it comes to new money that will be going into schools as a result of today's announcements, that money is not about uh, a return to a binary system of grammar schools and secondary moderns. That's not what we are going to do. What we are doing is ensuring that we see a diversity of provision. So yes, some grammar schools, but comprehensives, faith schools, university schools, math schools. What I want is a good school place for every child. But more than that, the right school place for every child. Amanda Milling. Thank you, Mr Speaker. On this International Women's Day, it's absolutely fantastic. We have the highest female employment rate on record. We have the highest percentage of women on FTSE 100 boards on record. The gender pay gap is at the lowest on record. And we have an amazing female Prime Minister. will agree there's still much more to do, in particular supporting women's back to work after a career break. Can my right honourable friend outline what more the government are going to do to level the playing field? I thank my, uh, my honourable friend for her question. When I stood on the steps of Downing Street back in last July and talked about a country that works for everyone, I meant that. And that's why we're taking a number of measures. And that's why we're taking a number of measures, including on International Women's Day today. And we are, will be uh, set, are setting up a new fund to help mothers returning to work after a long career break. Now, returnships are important. They're open to both men and women. But I think we should all recognise that the majority of those who actually take time out of a career uh, are women who are devoting themselves to motherhood for a period. Often getting back into employment is very difficult for them. They find it closed off. That's why uh, we, it makes economic sense, but it's also right and fair for those women that we provide for these returnships to enable them to get back in the workplace. Yasmin Qureshi. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Everyone agrees that early years education is crucial for the welfare and future of our children. However, nurses in my constituency tell me that the funding for 30 hours for free childcare is not sufficient and not enough, and many of them will be forced to close. What steps will the Prime Minister take to ensure that those nurses do not close? Yes. Can I say to the Honourable Lady, I mean, she talks about the 30 hours that is being introduced. If you just look at what we're doing on childcare, we've introduced 15 hours free childcare a week for all three and four year olds already. 15 hours free childcare a week for disadvantaged two year olds already and help with up to 70% of childcare costs for people on low incomes and shared parental leave. And we'll spend a record £6 billion on childcare support by the end of this part.
Parliament. Uh, this is this Conservative government, it's Conservatives in government that have the record of actually supporting uh, parents in relation to childcare needs. Shellbrook. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Does my right honourable friend agree with me that it's indefensible for the Labour um, Police and Crime Commissioner in West Yorkshire to be raising a council tax precept when he's got £120 million in reserves and underspent this year's budget by £4 million? Shocking! Can I say to uh, my honourable friend, of course, as he knows, the decision on what to do about the police precept on council tax is a matter for the directly elected police and crime commissioner for West Yorkshire, as it is in every area that has a police and crime commissioner. Um, but I would always encourage those commissioners to look at ways of uh, introducing efficiencies into their forces before looking to increase local taxes. I think what we have seen, what we've seen over the last six years, is that police forces can find sensible savings and can reduce crime at the same time. Geraint Davis. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Speaker, you'll know that the Royal College of Physicians have found that 40,000 people die prematurely each year from diesel pollution at a cost of £20 billion to the economy, and that YouGov have found that 45% of diesel drivers are willing to switch given the right scrappage or tax incentive schemes. So, will she today commit to a fiscal strategy and a new Clean Air Act? to put us on a new, a cleaner, healthier trajectory rather than to take global leadership rather than be dragged into the courts to fulfil basic EU air quality standards. The, the, uh, as the honourable gentleman will know, uh, we are looking at the measures that we need to introduce to improve air quality. There have been improvements in recent years, but we do need to go further, and that's what uh, the government is looking at across departments, obviously with the Department for Environment uh, uh, and uh, uh, Rural Affairs, actually paying most attention to that, because that's within their remit. We will be bringing forward proposals on air quality in due course. Victoria Atkin. International Women's Day is a chance to reflect on how governments and democracies across the world serve women. Will my right honourable friend confirm that when it comes to female Prime Ministers, it's 2 0 to the Conservatives? Well, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. I'm grateful to my honourable friend for having. I'm grateful to my honourable friend for having pointed that out, which I refrained from doing earlier in response to uh, in response to questions. But I think it is very telling that the Labour Party spend a lot of time talking about rights for women and, and giving support to women and getting women on, whereas it's the Conservative Party that is the party in this house that has provided two female prime ministers. Will the Prime Minister give an undertaking that any new Scotland Act will only be drafted after full consultation with the people of Scotland and with the consent of the Scottish Parliament? I just say to the, uh, the Honourable Lady, I'm not sure whether she's referring to discussions that are currently taking place about the powers that uh, might be available to the devolved administrations once we've left the European Union, but she knows full well that we undertake full discussions with the Scottish Government on measures that are reserve matters and on measures where we are negotiating on behalf of the whole of the United Kingdom. Simon Hall. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, crowd, crowd Comms, a business in my constituency, operates out of the small market town of Sturmins 
Walter Newton. It also has offices in Seattle and in Sydney. It employs 24 people providing high-quality IT jobs, availing themselves of high-tech, fast uh, rural broadband and mobile telephone communication. This is the answer, the recipe, for growing our rural economy. Will my right honourable friend undertake to ensure that her government does all that it can to fill the black spots in our rural areas? I can assure my honourable friend that we very much want to ensure that we're doing that. My uh, right honourable friend, the Secretary of State for Culture, Media and Sport, is uh, looking at our digital strategy and ensuring broadband is available in, uh, in rural areas and indeed at good speeds in other areas which might be less rural than my honourable friend's constituency. Finally, Mr Tim Farron. members are cheering because it's finally or because of the popularity of the right honourable gentleman but he's going to be heard Mr Farron you're also you're also very and characteristically uh, kind uh, Mr Speaker on um, International Women's Day we stand with women and girls across the world and note with resolve that we must take not for granted the progress we've made toward equality over the last few decades Mr Speaker yesterday we heard that hundreds of families of soldiers who died in Iraq and Afghanistan have been denied seats at tomorrow's unveiling of the memorial to our fallen troops. Inviting a relative of each of those killed in Iraq and Afghanistan would have taken up fewer than a third of the 2,500 seats at that event. Will she now apologise to those families for what I assume is a careless oversight and rectify that mistake immediately so that bereaved families can come and pay their respects to their fallen loved ones? Well, can I reassure the right honourable gentleman to tell him that charities and groups representing the bereaved were asked to put forward names of attendees and we look forward to welcoming them so that we can publicly acknowledge the sacrifice that their loved ones made on our behalf. Over half of those attending tomorrow are actually current or former members of the armed forces. No one from the bereaved community has been turned away and everyone who's applied to attend has been successful. But I'm reassured, being reassured that if there are any bereaved families who wish to attend, then the Ministry of Defence will make every effort to ensure that they're able to do so. Order! 